Filmmakers make films, but films make filmmakers. From blockbuster premieres to grindhouse theaters, late night cable to the local video store, there is no greater classroom for aspiring filmmakers than cinema itself. Join your host, Eric Skorzynski, as he dives deep into the minds of legendary directors, producers, actors, and more to discover their biggest influences and to explore the impact their films are leaving behind. This is Film School. Grab your popcorn. Class is about to begin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Film School Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by a special guest. Her name is Berkeley Brady, and she is the director behind the incredible new horror film, Dark Nature. We talk about everything from working her way up into her first feature film. We talk about shooting in the incredible yet challenging Canadian Rockies. And we talk about working with practical makeup effects while also trying to avoid doing damage to the natural beauty in some of these incredible parks. You're going to love every second of this interview. I know I did, and I hope you'll tune in to the entire thing. But first, be sure to go check out Dark Nature wherever it's streaming. We're going to get into spoilers here, so stay tuned. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Berkeley. thanks so much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, glad to have you on and excited to talk about uh, your movie, Dark Nature, which uh, I had the privilege of watching yesterday before this interview. So we'll we'll dive deep into that. But first, I want to know a little bit about you, uh, because behind every movie is someone that made it. Uh, so tell me a little bit about kind of your formative years, like what created the person sitting in front of me today? <laughs> That's a good question. Um well, uh, what I'm aware of, of that, you know, I'm sure there's a million things that shape all of us that we have no even awareness of. Um, but I grew up on an acreage outside of Edmonton, Alberta for the first five years of my life. And my mom was in med school and in her residency. So I really was just going around with my dad, who was a rock and roll drummer and he had a landscape uh, company. So he planted trees and made gardens and stuff, but we just kind of roamed around. And in my free time, they just sort of opened the door and sent me outside. So I had a very protective German shepherd, Nika, that's the name of my production company now. And I would literally just like take off my boots in the middle of winter. I had no feeling for the cold because I was just on the go. And I really think for artists looking back, that's important. I think that time where I was just by myself, creating little worlds and completely content. I think that must develop your brain in some ways. Like if you have screens telling you, you know, it's different if you're watching something versus inventing it. Yeah. Um, I really do think that. And so I always loved stories and writing and drawing. And then I ended up going to get a creative writing degree at the University of Victoria, um, which I really did not like and actually totally killed my love for writing. And I went into sort of, writer's block just because of the amount of it or I just think it's kind of a young age I think it was 19 I think that's not for everybody like sure especially when you come from the structure of high school where you're like mm. this is the subject this is what you do mm. to all of a sudden be like what's your voice what's your voice do you have yeah. a voice <laughs> <laughs> no I'm you a teenager <laughs> yeah and also I think it was um you're also being told like, oh, you you won't ever be able to make a living from this. Being mm. an artist is so hard. And so at that age, where it's like, well, my family is sacrificing and spending money to send me here and help me get through this program. 
you're telling me I'm never going to have financial right. independence or I can't even have a job where I'll get to do this thing I'm devoted to. It's so yeah. scary. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm curious about that. And I'm glad you brought it up because I think so many times the word artist is preceded by the word starving. <laughs> We've gotten used to that in our vocabulary and just anytime someone talks about pursuing filmmaking, music, you know, uh, whatever it is. It's like, okay, well, what are you going to actually do? Um, did you have a kind of limiting belief around being able to do that that stuck with you after going to school and being told that? Or did you kind of shake that off and go, I know that's not true. I know there's a path for me here. Like, which way did your brain kind of go? Because we absorbed that kind of information think, very early. Yeah, I think it was, I, I, it definitely stuck with me. And I think it was, I, I got out of university and started working for a documentary company. And so I thought, okay, well, film is maybe this, it has an industry, I could actually make a living here. And so that was nice to just have that, that sort of bridge into some career. But then those jobs were contract jobs. And then I went into sort of the freelance and starting to pick up little jobs here and there. And then it was just very, very hard. I just remember feeling like, yeah, I've made, I've ruined my life. What have I done? I could have been a doctor. Like, <laughs> what have I done? Sure. But at the same time, I had some really good friends, like my friend Erin Robinsong, the poet. And she's a dancer. And she really grew up with artist parents. Mm. She really kind of understood, like, she was just an artist. It didn't seem like, she's like, yeah, that's just what you are. You can't really choose. Yeah. yeah. And that's what you are, Berkeley. Like, sorry to tell you. So, we were roommates a long time. And so we were always just, I was very inspired by her to just keep doing things. We would do some projects together. And I thought, okay, it's a way of living in the world. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think, I think I almost like hit rock bottom. I was like, I'm going to be a failure completely. And then from there, it's a bit freeing because you're like, well, I, yeah, if you can accept that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. What What about your parents? Was uh, your dad was obviously pursuing music, you know, while you were growing up, like, did he encourage you to follow the artistic path or were your parents like, you should have been a doctor? <laughs> well, um, my dad, my parents got divorced when I was just about to turn six. Mm. And then I lived away from my dad and okay. he kind of went on a downward spiral. He is an alcoholic. So we really lost him for a lot of years. Uh -huh. So he would kind of come in and out of my life, which was really hard because I'd say he was my best friend. Um, and then my mom actually is a doctor. So she was very much like, don't do it. It's so hard. <laughs> really? Okay. And I, you know, I think it is a really hard job being a doctor. And I think, but especially in Canada, and she's a general practitioner, a family doctor, you don't, you're not like wealthy. Like you're very like middle class and you, you but she has to pay her staff. She mm -hmm. has, and, and you know, it's like you're at the whim of the government for what your wages are going to be. Sure. It's, it's just a full on job. When you look at like the amount of training they have to get, the right. hours they work, they make very little. Yeah. yeah so absolutely. she was like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I know you mentioned working in documentary and like kind of cutting your teeth there, which I could tell through watching Dark Nature, like there it feels very documentary in a, a lot of the way that you spend time on the landscape, you spend time on the environment and things like that. I am curious to know, you know, being outside, running around, writing, like you got to explore your creative side that way. Were there things on screen and movies or television shows that really inspired you as a creative early on that you started bringing into that work? Hmm. Early on, I think I always really loved photography and that's how I 
got into when I had writer's block, I started doing photography and illustration. And that really um, got me really looking at a lot of illustrators and obviously photographers. So I think when I started, I would focus a lot on like breaking down an image I like, like, how did they get that? Oh, look, that that one character's in the foreground, one's in the background, like depth of field. Oh, it's nice when things are kind of blurry in the back, or it's not, you know? So I think I really love the photographer Helen Levette. I think she's incredible. I love the humanity and the colors in her in her photographs. And then looking at just for film, just I think I was less specific as to who I was looking at and just finding little pieces here and there that I like. Like, oh, that was neat. They went from a close-up and moved around and now we're on the other character's shoulder. Like, how did they do that? Oh, okay. Just like always breaking things down. I think it's interesting that photography influence because one of the things watching any project and I want to I want to talk about um dark nature in a second like one of the things that I always look at in debut films is like how much the camera just moves around <laughs> and how much people cut away from things or it it feels very uncontrolled um in the sense of like okay let's try to shoot everything you can feel that through the screen and that's what I noticed in your work is that you're okay lingering on something for a second or taking the time to not just do, how do I make it look cinematic and blur out my background? Like, how do I show this scene? Um, and so I'm always interested to hear like that photography background or or things like that. Um, tell me a little bit about stepping into the feature world because you've, you know, worked in television, worked in documentary. Um, what made you decide like it's time to jump let's do this and take on, you know, a, a large project like this? Well, I got out of film school, my master's program, I believe in 2014 or 2015. And from that moment, I was trying to get a feature made. So it took, what is that? Six years. We shot in 2021, got funding in 2020. So yeah, just like five to six years to finally get it off the ground. Um, so I felt sort of past due I was like I am very ready right. to do this and um I think I'd worked on my my friend uh she made a movie called Electric Children she was in my cohort at Columbia and I'd worked on that as the assistant art director um I'd lingered on sets of other friends films my friend Christina Cho she made the movie Nancy I went, uh, I felt like a doula on that movie because it took her so long to get it off the ground as well. And just sort of being that emotional support for somebody because she was my roommate at the time too. So yeah, we just lived and breathed that film and getting it off the ground. So when it did really well, went to Sundance, it was like, we're going like, there was kind of a little crew of us who felt like that. So yeah, I think for the feature aspect, I think if you've done a few shorts, you really are ready because it's just then a, a question more of the stamina. Right. And at the crew, like working with crew and working with producer and all those type of things that I think you just have to keep doing. Like it yeah. really is just something you learn through experience. Yeah. Yeah. So it just feels like multiples of what you're already doing, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Like I, I think once you've taken a, a few projects through an edit, you're ready because I think going through your edit is so important because mm. you come to that moment where you're like, Oh, if only I had that shot. Oh, I remember when I wanted it. Oh, I remember how I let it slip through my fingers. Like yeah, you're not going right. to keep letting that happen. Right. Yeah. yeah. Get, getting funding for it. So you said it was funded in 2020. Like 
was COVID like a difficult factor in that or with the type of movie it was, was it like perfect <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, it's going to be a small group of people in a remote location. This is going to be very feasible. Yeah. I think the fact it was outdoors helped because at the time we, there was still a lot of obviously concern around COVID and the yeah. fact that it was outside was a good thing. And there was a big question of insurance, like how are insurers dealing with it? But it was just enough into COVID that there was sort of an understanding people were in the industry were starting to wrap their heads around how we could still do this. Right. But then, and during the shoot, we had COVID officer, COVID protocols, and actually one person, um, not on our set, but a crew member, he, while outside, got COVID. Wow. But he was really, really responsible about it. So he was like, the second he started not feeling well at all, he didn't come to work. He was someone who always had his mask on even yeah. when he was away from people. Um, so he was, I, I really appreciate that about him. Um, and so no one else got it. Yeah. Like we caught it. The protocols went in. It was like, everyone get tested. Everyone who'd been in the, like his proximity. So there yeah. was a lot and it is expensive. Like all those things cost. Well, yeah. And, and when it's a yeah. three week thing, I mean, it could kill your shoot. Like if you oh, had yeah. caught it or if your lead catches it, I mean, you can't just wait <laughs> for with everybody. So, yeah. um, I was curious about that. So, so diving into the project and I mean, you bit off a lot for this. So you're, you're shooting outdoors. I was listening to another podcast talking about, you know, having 40 minute hikes to certain locations and shooting with water and, um, and from what I understand, you shot it in the same location as Prey. So you've got, um, and I'm assuming not with the same budget as Prey, presumably. So <laughs> uh, where, idea. Yeah, where, where do you even start? <laughs> like, where do you start going, hey, we're going to go hike into the wilderness and shoot a movie? Like, how do you even approach that? Like, what's, what's step one going to a project like that? I think the inspiration and the desire. And I where we live, that is you know, Calgary in the area is used as a location on so many projects. Like we're booming here. There, there are crew shortages. Like if I like Fargo was just wrapped, we did Wind River just wrapped, Joe Pickett, Billy the Kid. There's so much that films here because of the landscape um, because it's so beautiful. Yeah. And so being from here and being really familiar with it, I think that gave me a confidence that, oh, I know how to get there and I know how to get in and out. The crews are really tough. They know how to work in these conditions. Um, why not use this knowledge to amp the look of the film? Right. So it can look like something special. Yeah. Was it tough getting cast on board for it? Like in conversations through casting going like, this could be a little bit tougher than, you know, if we're shooting in a studio somewhere or shooting, you know, more in the city. Um, the two leads, Madison and Hannah, when I was talking to them before they were cast, were both really like into it. They were mm. like, oh, I, I like the outdoors. I like adventure. <clears throat> both of them and all the actors who were in the water were definitely like, wait, so how are we going to do, where's this water scene? That sounds, that's, that's the thing that kind of scared them. Yeah. Um, but we did have a lot of our costume budget. I'd say the majority of it seriously did go to these custom made wetsuits. Oh, that were okay. made for them, yeah, in their skin color. So that was under their clothes, hmm. um, custom fit to their bodies. And that really helped, but it's still cold and it doesn't cover your head. So right. when they have to dunk down, they would be like, Wah! like, okay, I have three dunks in me, like no more. Yeah. So yeah, that got tough when takes wouldn't work because of technical issues. Yeah. Including one, um, when they're in the water scene, there's a big rock that they're kind of pressed up against and there's yeah. so much iron in that rock it would cut out the signal to the camera 
That's so bizarre. <laughs> yeah. So we did one take that was just a really big take where like the character Tara like puts her hood up, mm-hmm. which means we understand that like she doesn't want to talk. Yeah. She made her decision. And she had this epic, like she gets the hood up so badass and she dunks. And we're like, we did it. And she's like, oh my God, it was so cool, but I did it. And everyone's celebrating. And then the first day she was like, oh, we lost signal on that. We didn't yeah. get it. Don't shoot the and messenger then, kind of moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I went over to her. I was like, you did amazing. And she comes from theater. And so it's like, okay, so now this is your real like film acting moment where I need to tell you it was not caught. <laughs> it was not recorded. Yeah. And we just, because then she had done it, her head, everything was just so wet and she was so cold and it just, we never got it again. Like what we have now, I'm just like, oh God, it kills me. Like we yeah. had the best take. Right. But uh, that's that sort of stuff really gets you in the mountains. Sure, sure, yeah. And then um, I, I definitely want to dive into the cast, but I think the, I mean I keep talking about the landscapes and the land because I feel like that's the character. Like, yeah, there's like it's a big character. It, it's it, it's could be one of the leads if you wanted to say that. Like it, it's and it's interesting because the way it's shot and knowing it was shot because when I watched it and it got to the water scenes, I was like, I feel like this looks like prey a little bit, like the same landscape. But what was interesting is the landscape is still shot so differently than that movie. And so you don't feel like you're just in the same place. And I know lots of movies are shot there, but it doesn't feel familiar. It feels like its own thing. And what was unique to me and stood out in the movie is that the movie feels very claustrophobic, even in its wide shots. So like, what was kind of your conversation with the cinematographer going like, here's how we capture this? Because like, you could throw up a drone and here's some trees and then we'll cut the close-ups of our actors. But it was a lot more, I feel like a lot more thought out than that. A lot, a lot more uh, strategic in the way it was captured. Yeah. Um, so my cinematographer is Gerald Lim. He's based out of Vancouver. And he, the reason I chose him was I loved his photography. Like it was really like going to his website. And that's why I say for any cinematographers, like your website matters so much. Your reel matters a lot too. But your website, you know, I would go, I had, you know, my top selects and people who had been recommended to me. And I went to his, I was like, his is just different. It's popping, like the colors, the composition. I can tell this is someone who loves the image, like as much as I do. And so he was really inspired when he came here and we were um, I we had already selected the locations, and so then it was a lot about like when can we be in this location? What time of day? Let's bring in the AD to start scheduling around that. Um, also, there's a big discussion: do we do anamorphic or not? We decided not to, um, and we also decided not to use drones. So there's no drones in the movie, even though I love drones, and I think the really fancy drones with that come with like a company who comes and operates for you are in filmmaking a new world they're almost like jibs like giant jibs the way they can really move with the character and um i really saw that on wind river so i'm excited to use them in the future but i really wanted to avoid like it's a horror movie in the outdoors drone so it's like no drones um and then i think because we were just really on the ground we weren't oh, we have a beautiful trailer that will come out, grab these shots. Then we'll go here and there's a tent village for the video. It's like, no, it's us with a monitor with the actors on that ground. And I think that that feeling also just isn't something you can, it, it comes with the image. So I think we're in it as opposed to like looking at it. No, I, I noticed that early on, like there wasn't a lot of those kind of 
establishing shots that you would normally see. And I loved all the shots of the cars driving like into the location, especially, and I'll just go ahead and throw out spoiler warning. Cause I want to just talk about the movie. So I'm not going to do the dance around everything, but the, the end scenes when they're leaving and the car kind of comes out into that crossroads and the, the camera's obviously mounted on car behind going around. Like it's, it's really beautiful shots that just look like those look expensive. <laughs> like it makes the movie look really big and, and really cool. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I love the look of it um, and, and just the approach. And then on top of that, you've got the cast, which like, I mean, um, H- Hannah Anderson is amazing in, in this movie. Um, she's, she's a great lead. Um, they have a lot to chew on too uh, throughout this project. Cause you're dealing with a lot of heavy themes. The movie really could fall apart if you don't have good chemistry with the cast. So like finding them is a, is a big piece. Um, you know, talk, talk to me a little bit about the story and the themes that they're dealing with the, the trauma that's weaved throughout the movie. Like what was the um, kind of direction there and, and what were the conversations you had kind of going into the movie? Well, I really wanted to talk to them about friendship and mm. they each really connected in their own lives with having really close friends. Yeah. So that was something that we could really understand and sort of a commonality that we just was like a baseline understanding. And then with each of them, I would talk to them about different aspects. So with uh, Madison's character, Carmen, uh, her character is very, she's just that kind of person who can do anything, get things mm. done. Um, and who really loves her friend, but who's also come to a point where she's kind of realizing it's taking their friendship is taking a toll on her that may be too much. So that's what she's dealing with. And then with Hannah's character, we talked a lot about the ways we can love things, minimizing things. So she's minimizing. I think she's someone who's not really being honest with herself. Mm -hmm. And that means she's also not being honest with her friend. But we, so we, but for that character, we have to like, we have to believe she believes what she believes. Yeah. And so for Hannah, she kind of like, she's just, they're both just so talented. And so they're quite experienced as well. You know, they're in their thirties now. So they they have a lot under their belt and that, that makes a big difference. Did they they know each other at all before this? Um, Hannah knew of Madison because they both live in Toronto or just outside. And so they're living that very similar actor's life in Toronto. Sure. Um, and then Hannah had seen Madison in a theatrical production of Killer Joe, hmm. where Madison famously did not wear pants. I guess there's a scene where she's like pantless. And so they have like a Merkin, I think it's called or something. Yeah. It's like your fake like little like pubes. <laughs> it's like a goatee that you put on. So yeah. she started talking about that. But Hannah said that seeing Madison in that role had really, really inspired her. So she came in with a great admiration for Madison. Yeah. You don't want to mix great. those up with the fake goatees. That would be a bad, bad mishap. <laughs> a bad um, look. No, it's <laughs> be funny. Maybe someone should make like a hair bikini. So it's like two goatees on the top, one at the bottom. That would be really that gross. That would be really, yeah, cool. really gross. Maybe your next movie. Maybe your next movie. Uh, no, I, I asked that because they have such a good chemistry together. And I think one of the one of the standout scenes, and it sounds funny if someone hasn't seen the movie, but the scene for me that really 
where I was like, oh, I buy into this 100% was the scene where they're peeing in the mountains and that back and forth where they're kind of being playful and like, it's one of the few moments in the movie where like, there's no tension at all. Like it's a hundred percent break in the middle of the movie. And, you know, I love the moments where Madison's kind of looking over her shoulder and there's like this, you can, it feels like a friendship that's been there for 30 plus years. Like they've yeah. known each other a really long time. And I was surprised at how much chemistry was able to be felt just in that, like, you feel it throughout the movie, but like in that one moment in such a tense movie for the full runtime, that moment of pause where you're like, I feel like these are best friends. <laughs> like yeah. these are a hundred percent real friends. Yeah. So. I, I love that moment too. And there was so much good ad-libbing in that, that we yeah. cut out like, like, cause we shot, you know, so many takes and uh, I think Madison especially is just so funny. Like yeah. she had me cracking up and the two of them, I know it was a really hard shoot for both of them, but mm. I have so many memories of them just laughing their heads off and like waiting for them to stop laughing. Like, okay, we got to go ladies. Like, We're, we're also shooting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. like, yeah, they're like consummate professionals, but also like they really did have a great chemistry. So they, um, you know, and I think that's part of their training is how to work with other actors. Like yeah. I feel like they both kind of came in and like got the assignment. They're like, all right. Yeah. And it was there. So they, they still are friends today. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I, I'm wondering with the more heavy scenes, especially because this movie opens with a pretty brutal moment, um, you know, with, with this scene of assault and then you've got, and then I was like, okay, this is, this is intense. And then she opens the door and then you see her pet is like murdered. And I was like, oh, they're going for it in this movie. Um, tell me a little bit about like the approach to shooting those moments. Cause a lot of times historically in horror, you do get the male gaze of, assault sequences and you, you know, that's why generally there's a lot of movies where it's 70 minutes of just brutality and then, you know, 10 minutes of empowerment. Um, approaching this movie, did you have lines you didn't want to cross? Did you have a specific way you wanted to approach the way that trauma and assault was handled responsibly and dealt with in a mature way throughout the the filmmaking process? Yeah, definitely. I really didn't want it to be trauma porn. And we actually have a lot about terrorist character that we cut, partly because mm. it was sound, but we could have ADR'd it. But yeah. as we cut, I'm like, you know, yeah, I just don't want to do this trauma porn of like, you know, what happened to her? Like, it's almost like we all know the stories. Like, you could go on right. YouTube and watch like Soft White Underbelly or, you know, there's so many things yeah. that are just like, you, you could fill it in. And I think that's almost more interesting and with the assault scene in the beginning, I really did want to take that just from the perspective of Joy's character. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and there's actually a shot that we didn't get that does kill me, as any filmmaker will know. But there is like, when he, the spoiler alert, but he is choking her, she is faking when she like kind of passes out so that he'll let go. Mm. And I feel like what I wanted was like a close up of her eye, like closed and then like open and she looks like, so you're like, oh, you yeah. understand she was kind of faking it. Because I think as a woman or a weaker person that in physically weaker, that's the way you're going to get out of an attack is outsmarting somebody like you're not yeah. going to win the battle physically. So in my mind, she the, her character like pretends she's kind of like passing out. He's stunned. Oh, no, what have I done? Then she punches him and gets yeah. out. Yeah. So I feel like but it was really interesting editing that with my editor because he just didn't have a sense of like this scene at all because I think he's definitely not an abuser and he's also sure. a man. So it was just really interesting. I was like, no, no, no. Like 
get, let this happen. Like this is, it was just really, I think harder for him. Whereas for me, it's just part of reality of being a woman Mm -hmm. is like myself, my friends, most people I know they've dealt with something like this. Right. So I'm like, let's look at it from what this feels like to go through. Yeah. Yeah. It it was, I I just am always fascinated by the choice of what to show, what not to. And it does, like you said, I think at this point we have enough intuition to know we can read between the lines and um did you did you see jethica by any chance they came out last year um it was a it was a it was an indie film i think he made it i want to say it was like three grand or five grand or so and they rented an airbnb with a couple actor friends and shot this very just cool ghost story um but essentially this this woman's um stalker dies and starts coming back as a ghost. And so he can't harm her. He's just there. And so it's like these moments where she sees him standing there, he's saying something to her and she can't get rid of him. He can't do anything to her. So it just, it dwells on these like kind of moments between them. But I asked the director of that movie, I said, you know, did you choose, did you choose not to go more horror and more like, Oh, the lights are flickering and he's here. And he's like, we all know what stalkers do. Like, (laughs) I don't need to spend a bunch of cinematic vocabulary explaining it. You know, it's a lot more interesting what we don't usually see. So um, anyway, I was, I think that is a very similar approach to what you just mentioned. And I think honestly, you'd probably really like Jessica. It's kind of an under seen movie. Um, But yeah, it's like J E T H I C A. And I think it's, so the, the, her stalker has a lisp, so I'm pretty sure that's why it's uh, Jethica. Um, because he okay. stands outside the her her house and basically goes, Jethica, Jethica. So but oh um Oh my gosh, that's yeah. great because yeah, exactly. The thing about having a stalker is the paranoia. It's what yeah. they're taking from you in your life. It's not just when they're watching you, it's that everywhere you go, you're wondering if you're being watched. Exactly. That's the torture of it. I actually yeah. have a friend, I met her through um a writing program at the Banff Center here in Canada. Any writers, I really recommend it. Her name is Julie Lalonde, and she was stalked. Um, she wrote a book called The Life and Death of Julie S. Lalonde, um, Resilience is Futile. And she was stalked for 10 years. And her stalker actually was killed in a car accident, which is just this like strange twist to the story. But yeah. it's like it's something she lives with. And a lot of her work is about it. She does a lot of um, bystander intervention work, sexual assault kind of information. She's just really, really smart person. But she's like, I tell my story all the time. It doesn't mean it's like doesn't still affect. Yeah. Like it totally gave her PTSD. It's something she'll live with forever. Yeah. Like awful. Yeah. Well, that, and that's what is interesting about you know the movie I just mentioned. Your film is that that theme of it not leaving you, um, and it's something. Um, it's, we could totally go outside track on all this stuff, but it, it is um, so integral. Like you know, I work with a lot of people who've been victims of abuse. So I, I have a whole other podcast I deal with clergy oh, wow. abuse victims. And um, so a lot of these movies like really resonate with me and like the, that, ex- that emotion of, Oh, they're not leaving. And I think it, it goes so far beyond, like, I think a lot of movies just go, here's a flashback of the assault, you know, over and over again. And I think there's so much that, you know, like her character, like, um, Hannah's character zoning out, you know, throughout the movie and kind of even before anything supernatural happens, you know, her kind of disassociating with people in the car. Like it's a very realistic, I think, approach to it. And it's funny watching the movie because 
um, I kind of felt, I kind of felt similar to, um, this is going to sound really bizarre at first. I felt very similar to how I feel when I watch um, From Dust Till Dawn. And the reason okay. I say that is <laughs> I love From Dust Till Dawn because um, it's From Dust Till, Till Dawn. But um, I love the crime story in the beginning so much that I could just have that continue on. And then I love this vampire section and I could have a whole movie of that. And part of me like gets heartbroken because I'm like, I just want to see more of this. And there's part of me watching this movie where I'm like, I don't even need the monster at the end of the day. Like I could watch them all on a camping <laughs> retreat together, working <laughs> through this together. And then it happens to go into this, this horror movie, um, which is, which is really fascinating. But again, I think it speaks to the strength of the characters where I'm like, okay, I just want more of this, more talking, yeah. more communication between them. It's, it's, it's really special that way. Um, but it does deliver the goods with the creature. Uh, so Talk to me a little bit about the creature design. I know you mentioned, you know, there's some homage to the descent for sure. Um, but you wanted to stay away from that with the creature design. Um, and I mean, I don't blame you. That's a very distinctive design. Um, what were the influences and kind of um, references when coming up with this creature? The references were really predators of the area and also, you know, tree bark the natural look of the very specific area we were in, because in my backstory for the creature, it's like he's this interdimensional being that basically got stuck in this place. And he lives in this cave and he's lived there for like thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. But like anything that's there for tens and tens of thousands of years, it's evolved to this place. Yeah. Because I really, really, I'm really fascinated and, and think it's this like massive tragedy that we're all not really paying attention to the biodiversity, biodiversity we're losing at this time hmm. um, of the planet. And when you look at how incredible it is, like that there's birds who have beaks that only fit these certain plants that are only in this place. Like, yeah. That's amazing. This is this like quantum computer we're living in. And we're just like, ah, build a suburb. Who cares? Yeah, right. It's like, no, no, it matters. And it's amazing. So with this creature, um, Kyrie McPherson, she was also the head makeup um, artist and the costume designer, Jennifer Crichton, really worked to create that. Like they would take tree bark and go and, and finish his suit to match that. So that's why he's off it actually in shots that you don't see him at all, but he is there watching them. Interesting. Camouflaged. Yeah. And so that's kind of fun. Um, and then, yeah, just I really thought about predators of this area. We have cougars. Bears are not really predators. So I was really thinking about cougars. And I really wanted the actor to move with a lot of stealth. And we actually had an incredible creature costume designed by somebody else that we put so much of our money into. But when the actor got to set, he just couldn't move in that suit. The head, the, the head was too big. Yeah. So it was like, oh, this is a custom built latex suit to his body. No one else could wear this. He couldn't move. So really, Kyra and Jen saved the day because we had to, unfortunately, like we couldn't pay the other person in anymore. And like they just worked on that at night. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. And especially Kyra, like she she really talked like she was in contact. I'd say she was my main point person. And she would just say like, what about this? What about this? And her, I'd say that's just where you really learn who on your crew you're going to be taking forward. Mm -hmm. So I'd say like, she was one of those people and there were a few of them, but she, she was one who I'm like, I never want to make a movie without this woman. And right. I, if I can help it, I won't. 
Yeah, yeah. Like I- she was emotional support, creative brilliance, great attitude, good at her job. Like I yeah. want to work there all the time. Yeah. I'm curious how many are there a lot of shots where this creature's hidden in the background? Because now I'm curious, like ah. how many did I how many how many shots did I miss? <laughs> you know, there are more than are actually in the final cut, but I'd say there's probably one where you didn't see him. Hmm. One where he's revealed, two where he is, and then he's revealed. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's all I'll say on that. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta rewatch. Gotta rewatch and yeah. look for it. Um yeah, no, the the effects are super cool. And I th- um I think you mentioned um I was listening to you on an interview and you were talking that your makeup person her name's Kyra. Yeah, Kyra McPherson. And then okay. Kyra Harper is I was gonna say, I was like, actors. am I getting the yeah. cast mixed in? <laughs> no. Um so she actually works with the military for training. So she's doing like anatomically correct makeups for like their training drills and things like that. Like um which is just super like interesting. It's just it, it's interesting because like Tom Savini was kind of that background as a Vietnam War photographer, oh, brought that into his makeup effects. So I always think that's fascinating. Um going in and doing the practical effects, which again is something that's a lot to a lot to chew on versus doing let's throw some digital blood here or do this. Like, um, do you feel like you got to go as far as you wanted to go with those effects? Did you feel like you were hamstrung at all with budget? Like, um, or is it kind of exactly like, okay, I want to show this. I have this, this foot here. I've got this head here. Like I've got exactly what I want in these, in these moments. I think I, you know, I love, like you say, she is really trained in anatomy and she trained as a nurse as well. Um, so she really understands anatomy. So I love the scene where Carmen is stitching or, Mm. uh, Joy stitching up Carmen's leg. Because if you look at that wound, it's like, there's like a subcutaneous layer. There's like a little fat layer. Like it's so realistic. So I, and my mom's a doctor, as I said, so I grew up around like pictures of this kind of thing. I've always wanted to do stitches. Mm. Um, you know, I don't want anyone to get hurt, but I do want to practice. My mom says you practice on pig's feet. Like from the butcher, yeah. not alive. Um, that's a different horror. <laughs> yeah, don't movie. try that. Yeah, <laughs> um, to to do because I'd love to just be like someone needs stitches. I could do it. Like I do yeah. it really well, like plastic surgery level. Okay, but um, so but there were things like when we were by the water and had a scene with the blood in the water, just like the blood ran out. Mm. Somehow the blood ran out, and we're like, well, we need more blood, but the blood's up the hill the clock is ticking. You don't have time. So things like that can kind of get it really. Yeah. Those were the things where I didn't get to go as far as I wanted. Cause we just ran out of time. Yeah. Um, same thing with like dressing trees. Um, everything is done with like a lot of respect for the environment. So if you really bloody up a tree, it's probably like a fake part of the tree that we've brought in, put onto the tree. Mm. And then you take that with you. Same with the, the blood going into the cave. When they're going in the exterior cave, going up and you see all that blood, all of that was actually a gel. And then they sort of dress the gel because then you peel the gel off and you take it with you. Gotcha. And there's a mat on the ground too. And then you cover the mat with rock. So it looks like the ground, but then you take all that back with you because that blood has some sugar in it and it would attract animals. And it's just, it would, it would harm the park. Yeah. Yeah. And you worked with the park services a bit like building the dam and, and all that sort of, so like, yeah. yeah so working with them and, and doing all that, like in blood in the water, was that, 
was that an issue at all? Or was that like, how did you go about doing that? Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's non-toxic, the blood okay. that we use for that. So it's specifically, um, marked as okay, but it is definitely something I was like, that's a lot to put in this little stream and the right. water's so cold. It's not like it just like evaporates or just sort of runs into water. You can kind of see it keep going. I'm like this can't be good for the environment, but apparently it's all non-toxic. It yeah. totally breaks down. Um, so it is, it is environmentally safe. And was that difficult with reset times for, um, like blood in the water seems like that did it take a long time to clear before another shot. Like, was that a difficult thing as well? Yeah, we definitely planned those like the scene where Tara gets it. <laughs> we, we uh, like planned it to be at the end because it does take okay. time. Um, but I actually would have wanted more. I think one problem was like the blood because you're pumping it, right. It's coming out of a mm-hmm. pump. You're pumping it into the water. It was coming with a lot of bubbles. And then there's this this debate. No, there is bubbles with real blood. Like, but yeah, it looks too bubbly. And then you're waiting for the bubbles to go down. Right. And then the, it's gone. And then you're out of blood. That it's like that's interesting okay. too. Like, did you ever have any arguments with um with Kyra as far as like, okay, this will this is what I want it to look like in the movie, and she's going, this is what it would actually look like, and it's like this. What what's it's kind of like gunshots in a movie, like or punches. We know what they yeah. actually sound like but movie punches sound a lot cooler, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. were there any conversations like that? Yo, absolutely. And I would just say like, she's just such a wonderful person to work with that. She'll say like, okay, all right. All right. My dude, like, this is what I promise you it would be <laughs> like, and I'm like, it is, but it looks like this. She goes, yeah. Yeah. I see that. Like your call. It's your call. Like she'll just give me the information that she has and I trust her. Yeah. And then I have to ultimately make the call because I think for all directors out there, it's like, you're the one in the edit. Yeah. And that is, I think, again, an experience thing. Anytime in other projects where I let something go that didn't feel right to me, I'm the one sitting in the edit with that mistake. Yeah. So it's like you learn how to be like, remember that feeling. I <laughs> don't like want that pain feeling. pain now or yes. so much more pain later. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. that's a hard thing to remember in general is that none of these people are going to be there with you at the edit. They're not going to mm-hmm. be at the premiere. I mean, hopefully they will be if you're in the town, but everyone leaves and goes on to other projects, whereas director is with that project through years more. Yeah. It doesn't wash off so easy. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm happy to say it, it's a, it's a really great film and um, I'm always nervous. Like when I book the interview and then they send the screener and then I'm like, this is gonna be a really awkward conversation if I don't <laughs> like this movie. And so, you know, I'm, I got like halfway through and I was like, okay, good. There's, there's plenty to talk about. Um it's really great. I'm excited to see what you work on next. I know you have a project. I don't have to wait too long. In like 10 days as of this recording, um, you have a anthology short that is coming out uh, to Screenbox. Um, tell me just a little tease of what that's about. Uh, please, no spoilers. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, okay. But but what can we expect from this uh, anthology? So it's the Creepypasta anthology. And I have a short in it called The Gray Man which is about an author who, you know, looking at it now, it's very thematically similar, but I actually didn't write the script to The Gray Man. So it's just a coincidence, I guess, uh, if there are such things. But it's about a writer who has a very sort of dark past with something called The Gray Man. So it starts with Mm. her writing about this experience one night alone in her house. And maybe through writing it, she evokes it. That's Mm. all I'll say. (laughs) <laughs> Interesting. Well, yeah, I can't wait to check it out. Um, and again, really excited to see what you work on next. 
I've got about 10 minutes left. I'm going to ask you some questions. I ask everybody that comes on the show. Uh, I I call it a rapid round, but it always ends up, uh, (laughs) there's some stumpers in here that take a minute. So um, I'm curious to hear your answers. Um, First question, who do you think is the most underrated artist working right now? Mm, My uncle Bradley, Bradley Hmm. Meyer. (laughs) What, What does he do? What kind of art? He's a painter and he does a lot of digital art right now. Um, but it, when I go to his house, it's full of his paintings and they're, they could be in museums. Like mm. there's his oil paintings are so incredible. Um, and I think he's just inherently not a, not a promoter. And I, I kind of love that about his generation that I think they were still like wary of certain elements of capitalism and, he just sort of did his thing and now he just does a lot of digital art on his iPad, yeah. but it's always brilliant. Yeah. He's so brilliant. Cool. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the best decade of film history? Mm. I think the best decade of film history. It's so hard not to say seventies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a tough one. <laughs> it's you're hard pressed to pick one that's better. But. I mean that there's so many movies too from the 50s and the mm-hmm. 40s as well. I mean, it's been film fire for a good 80 years at least. Yeah, yeah. I I always now so I, I when I even like a year ago like I was always like what's the best decade, and now I think there's kind of like the best half decades because mm-hmm. when you start really diving in the conversation, like because people will go you know like Tarantino famously is always like. The 80s was the worst year of movie, which is like ridiculous, like because so many great movies came out in that time. But then you like start thinking like, well, 86 onward, maybe like, but 80 to 84, 85, really solid stretch of movies. Or you go to the 70s, you're like, man, the early 70s when they're really going crazy. Like, I, I mean, I would say 71 to 77 is like this golden era and the fifties is a very homogenized kind of bland group of movies. And then you've got snuck in throughout that, like all these beautiful technicolor musicals and these great, like kind of movies that press the boundaries for the time. So I always think like half decades now, it's hard for me to go, you know, and I think we're in one right now, honestly, like I'm, I look at, especially the horror output of, barbarian and like these yeah. different films that are coming out it's it's really interesting what everything's shaped up to be in this uh this decade so far yeah um, yeah i love barbarian yeah it was great and i mean, well even um I, I mean it's the reactionary stuff like it's we've had all these superhero movies for so long and now we're getting like babylon and barbarian like these very crazy bizarre far heavy swings this other direction i'm i'm excited yeah. to see that keep going um if you were given the green light to remake any film what would you choose and why hmm. i almost want to say beaches because i love beaches so much and i really see how um like it it's so influenced by douglas sirk hmm. so i think and i'm he's a filmmaker that i really love so to do to try to emulate what he did with the story of friendship, but in our time could be really cool. And also blue crush, I think, but I would do it on snowboards. Okay. Yeah. Cause you're, you have a big snowboarding background, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, growing up by the mountains kind of have to like, that's going to happen. Gonna do? 
So yeah, we awesome. were just like my friend and I just like super just like horny teenagers. So I'm like, just like any teenager, but it's like, if you're a girl in the 90s. Yeah, go to the hill and be like the only girl snowboarding. It was very motivating. That's that's your in for sure. <laughs> that was our in. We're like, yes, no competition here. That's funny. <laughs> I added added beaches to my list. I have to check it out. Um, so good. Uh, what of your projects do you think is the best representation of you as a creator? Hmm. I think dark nature because of its emphasis on photography and hopefully some big emotions. I really want to make people feel I want to kind of I don't I want you to be able to sit in a theater and cry, laugh, scream. If I can get you to do all three things in a movie, I've succeeded. Awesome. Uh, What is a film that people would be surprised to know that you enjoy? So this can be a guilty pleasure. It could be something that's so out of left field that it it would shock people. Uh, What's a what's a movie that you just absolutely love? People would be shocked by shocked by is hard because I would say I love Silence of the Lambs but who doesn't yeah right Right. Uh, (laughs) I mean I always talk about beaches because I think because it is a melodrama people are like what Um, and they'll sort of laugh at it but I'm sorry it's been making me cry since like 86 so (laughs) there's something in there Uh, shocked 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 going through my rolodex here i think i'm just like a basic all my movies are like just like beloved <laughs> yeah i have to pass that one shocked i'm gonna think about it um i i just thought of this question but i'm curious to know your answer if you had to program a double bill of dark mm-hmm. nature and another movie uh what would you what would you choose I would say beaches, but I've said beaches so much. It's like, get over beaches, lady. I can't get over it. Yeah, beaches. <laughs> That's an interesting double feature. Because <laughs> it's about friendship. And I think what I love about beaches, and they, I think they got so right, was the flux in a friendship. Mm. That like you can have the biggest fight with your best friend and both be bawling and like, but like your true best friend, there are lines you're just not going to cross. And then you come back together and you're there for each other. Yeah. Until one of you dies. So it's like very yeah. close. Yeah. I guess it does make sense. No, uh, I, I, I laughed when I heard you describe dark nature. You're like, it's a movie about friendship. I was like, that sounds so beautiful. <laughs> right. And I, and then you, you could cut like a trailer that's very cheery and, and happy about that idea. Right. And, um, yeah. That's funny. I challenge uh, someone to cut that trailer. I will, uh, I will get you an incredible prize. If you, if someone out there does that, Hmm, I'm going to find an incredible prize <laughs> and I will send it to you. <laughs> oh, that's, that'd be super funny. Did you see, uh, not to circle back to Barbarian too much, but uh, did you see when they cut the Justin Long trailer where it's like, they cut it like a, like a family movie with him? I heard about this, but I didn't see it. You got to check that out. It's, it's super funny. They did the, exactly awesome. that. They're like from the, I forget how they did. I think it was like from the studio that brought you Alvin and the Chipmunks, and like it was like it was just so bizarre. Um, but yeah, <laughs> definitely worth watching. I love um, that. I'll have to give that treatment to Dark Nature. Maybe we'll have to we'll have to figure that out. Right. Um, and last question I ask everybody: uh, What is the best piece of advice you would give to an aspiring filmmaker who's listening to this? 
And I always say no pressure. It could change someone's life. So um, <laughs> just a simple question to end on. I think to really trust your instincts and your gut and that, that it's okay that that takes time to know how to do that. So I think that really embracing failure and embarrassment as the key marker that you're improving. Hmm. So each time you fail, it's not, uh, I suck. Why aren't I good? I'll never do it. Yes. You're going to have those thoughts. Just recognize them and think like, what did I learn? How could I do it differently? If it's sort of embarrassing you Hmm. or it's hard to accept, that's a really good thing. Yeah. Because each of those things are really the only way that we can learn. And same with showing your films when you show it and you can feel in the room, ah, it's not working. They don't like it. That's really good. Get used to that feeling because you don't want it to happen again. Mm -hmm. But if you're not afraid of it, you'll be making your next thing faster. Yeah. I I love, uh, there's a clip of Spielberg on set of, I think he was being interviewed while he was making Bridge of Spies in like 2015. So he's like already... He's Spielberg. Like, I mean, it's yeah. Spielberg. And he said, every time I go on set, I want to throw up. Like, I feel like I'm taking a test. And I was like, if he feels like that, <laughs> like anything I'm doing today, I can feel pretty good about. Um, yes. I, I want to just go like a few feet deeper on what you just said about, um, you know, feeling comfortable, like making your decision and not being embarrassed, you, you know, not being afraid to make your own decision essentially. Yeah. And I want to know, like, What's the balance between listening to people who've been doing it longer than you, or maybe are experts who are on your crew? Because it's it's going to happen, especially early on. Most of the crews probably worked on more things than you, or they've got insights mm-hmm. that you might not have. Mm-hmm. How do you determine when you're going, okay, I'm being smart and trusting my gut and doing what I know is right for the project versus, okay, I should not do that because everyone's telling me no. Like, Where do you mm-hmm. find that balance and know- I'm ready to just draw the line versus listen to the input of everybody and follow their kind of guidance there. I think that's a really important question. And I don't think there's any answer that I can give aside from just get more experience Mm. doing it because, and I think the more you build your team and know that there are those people that you'll be, that you can trust, Mm -hmm. then you're weighing it through because we're human beings. We all have ego and there's especially a lot of ego on film sets because people get insecure. (laughs) Yeah. What? What? That's I've never heard that. (laughs) It's very, very hard. Um, You know, people get tired too. So it's harder to be the person we always want to be when you're exhausted and under a really high stress situation. But I think that when something trips you up and like for myself, I know it's like hmm, something feels like wrong in my gut. Oh, I didn't like mm. that. Like, I think I need that. Then I think with experience, you do get better at thinking, yeah, this is worth taking the time to go back and redo mm-hmm. or changing. And then knowing, well, actually in the edit at the end of the day, do I really need this? Mm-hmm. And you need to, to be able to make that decision quickly. It, you can't until you've get more experience. So even myself, I'm going to be so much better on my next feature and hopefully then on the next one. But for those who are building up to a feature or doing their shorts, it's just check your gut. And um, I think too, it is a thing that there's going to be people on your set who are maybe trying to undermine you. Mm -hmm. It's not maybe you, (laughs) like it it might be them. And I think as a director, there's a lot of people on set who want to be a director Mm -hmm. who also want to show, and it's usually people who are like less likely to go further 
because they feel like so they have something to prove so it's almost like with actors they say like the biggest actors are actually like the most generous nice people it's more like the yeah. middle people who are just very demanding can often be you know sure they want to feel important because they know yeah. that they're not as important as they want to be yet yeah so i think recognizing that there are those people who are going to be projecting their own bs onto you also <laughs> trying to undermine you or just bringing their own ego and all you can really do is have boundaries and just try to get some distance from it like you yeah. can't change them Right. Yeah. So. That, that crew around you is so important. Uh, well, yeah. I, I'm excited to see what you do next and yeah. the next film and the next film and continue to see you um, grow and develop your work. And again, the fact this uh, debut feature is shocking because it's, it's really, really great. Um, it's a, it's a great film. And uh, again, I'm glad it is, <laughs> glad it is. Um, but it's, it, no, it's, it's amazing. I'm excited to see what you do next and, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation today. I really appreciate it. And yeah. uh, hopefully uh, we'll chat again soon for the next one. Well, thank you so much for having me and watching the film and preparing such great questions. That, that was really a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Film School Podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, don't forget to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode.